It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to episode 27 of From the Braves Booth. It is great to have you with us alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. And uh, if you're all out there and you wave, we can probably see you because we're coming to you high high above uh, Nationals Park from our radio booth here at the ballpark. And um, I guess the only thing that's higher than us is the team right now, Joe. Uh, That's for certain, Ben. And certainly uh, even as hot as you and Jay Chad are and appear to be in appearances today, the team is actually hotter than right. you guys. Right. Um, they're playing great. Uh, big setback last night kind of takes the wind out of your uh, 12-game winning streak sales when you lose a guy like Ozzy. But uh, as they say, next man up. Yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. I mean, everybody's got injuries and you got to find your way through. Uh, as always, we're taking your emails, bravesbooth at gmail.com. You can email us anytime, and maybe your question will be read on our next show. As it goes for, for today's show, we've got – uh, it's about eight pages worth of questions and comments too that we'll be getting to later today. Some more great ones, great questions coming yeah. away today. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to do. Uh, we are we really appreciate all the interest everyone has expressed in the podcast. The feedback has been tremendous. Uh, we love the fans that are out there listening to us each and every night, and those that can't uh, do when they they listen when they can. And I'm hearing more and more Ben about uh, people who are able to sync up the radio call with the TV mm-hmm. uh, and they're muting the TV and listening to us. And that's a great compliment. One of my best friends in South Carolina has, has mastered that. And, and apparently on MLB's app, they, they give you an audio option where you could watch the video of the game and you can choose Braves TV, Nats TV, Braves radio, Nats radio, and it pairs it together and it can cast it to his TV. So I know a lot of people are doing that. We appreciate you being out there. However it is that you're consuming our broadcast and our podcast every single night, let's jump right into it with this team. They've won 12 in a row. And normally coming to the ballpark after a win last night where you've won 12 straight, you'd be feeling really, really good. Feeling good, but at the same time, it, it's definitely um, it, it, it's definitely not what it would normally be because of the injury to Ozzy. So I think the question becomes: at, at what point do the Braves make a move? Would you expect that sometime by the end of the month or sooner? I know that in the meantime, Phil Goslin comes up, so you've got another bench piece of someone who can play infield or outfield in his case, and we'll see a lot of Orlando Arcia in the meantime. But this probably sends Alex Anthopoulos and his troops into a scramble to try to figure out what they want to do for the long term at second base, knowing you'll be without Ozzy for maybe two, two, two and a half months properly. Uh, here's the way I view uh, Orlando Arcia, Ben, and it's a luxury. That is a guy who has played 
uh, every day. He's been in that role where he's played every day, usually at shortstop when he was with Milwaukee. Uh, a very good player, an opening day type starter, and the Braves are fortunate to have him. Uh, but what it also provides Alex Anthopoulos is a cushion. There's no red light emergency that you got to run out and get a guy right now right and overpay for somebody that maybe you're not too excited about getting but you you feel the need to fill this hole quickly arcia gives you that opportunity to sift through everybody you know go through the the rosters find somebody you like if you like if you find someone uh meanwhile orlando will play um solid defense you'll get some hits and uh provide you with someone that you can count on every day to go out there i think it definitely takes away a, a desperation yes uh from from the uh, front office because everybody knows what what the braves uh what happened with the braves last night everyone knows that ozzy albies hurt himself he's going to be out and if that phone rang if i knew that alex anthopoulos was desperate i could ask for everything but he has like you said with orlando arcia he has the ability to say, well, I don't necessarily have to pay this for that. I can go do whatever I want to do. And if he ends up being the plan, I don't think we feel all that bad about that. I think Orlando can certainly handle himself when he's been given the opportunity. He's had, he's had some huge hits mm-hmm. in small opportunities for the team this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you you don't really have to get desperate when it comes to filling that spot. No, and even last night, uh, he steps in first at bat, ropes a single, walks his next time up. He made a really good play from the uh, third base side of second base late in the ball game to get it out, showed his great arm off, showed his shortstop type arm off. Um, uh, so we're, we're really praising uh, Orlando Arcia because he's a solid player, and he is. It's not because uh, – He's who we got, right? You know, right. okay, we gotta we gotta love the guy because that's all we got. Well, that's not the case. He's a good player, and uh, again, I, I'll go back to use the word desperation. I think that's very good. There is no desperation, right? And there's no need to pay through the nose for somebody that you just feel like, yeah, it's just a temporary thing, and I don't know if I want to pay that. Um, but rest assured, Alex Anthopoulos and his staff are out there. Uh, combing the lines, uh, trying to find out if there's a better fit. After tonight, um, 99 games left in the season, I want to say it is. Yes, that's correct. Just want to stay healthy the rest of the way. Well, think, think, I mean, think, that's a big loss. Think about uh, what was the date on uh, on Acuna's injury? Wasn't it early It was July? in July. It was, it was the week going into the All-Star break. Okay. Uh, so Alex started making some changes uh, after the All-Star break, mm-hmm. pre- predominantly. I'm not sure when we when we got Jock Peterson, but uh, the other guys came along after the All-Star break. So, again, there wasn't this urgency uh, that he felt that he had to find somebody to fill in. And, and the Braves were not anywhere close to first place when that happened. Right. Uh, and yet he was able to pull off these deals. So I have every confidence that Alex and his staff uh, are looking and that if they find someone, it'll be someone that not only fits – at second base, but also fits in the clubhouse because that's very important to Alex and to Brian Snitker. seems like it'd be a really hard thing to do when it comes to oh, making yeah. a trade. Uh-huh. And, and it's not just about looking at a guy's baseball reference page and seeing what his numbers are and what, he, what his tendencies are, home, row splits, all that stuff. You're, you're making phone calls and getting opinions from dozens of people about 
a guy, how he is, how that guy is in a clubhouse, what kind of a teammate he is. To me, that would be the toughest part about evaluating potential suitors than just looking at stat pages and saying, that's our guy statistically. Uh, that, would, that would take a special talent. I know that Alex does a great job of that and see last year with what he was able to bring in and the chemistry that those guys had inside the clubhouse. That's what scouts are for. That's why you have professional scouts, not just uh, free agent scouts combing the, the bushes in high school and college, but guys who are out watching uh, major league players, uh, AAA, AA franchises of uh, various organizations. That's what your scouts are for. You find out who you like, who's out there. Give me a name. Give me a couple of names from who you've been watching. And then you go from there. Then you're able to, if you focus in on somebody, like you said, you might call a couple of three guys on the Braves team right? that played with that guy. It's like detective work. Yeah. And say, hey, uh, we've got an interest in uh, Jonathan Chadwick. You know, he's playing for the Guardians, right? Uh, but I know you played with him with the Blue Jays. You know what kind of guy is he? Right. I mean that that goes on all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure it's been happening a lot anyway, but especially over the last eighteen hours. Well, back and, to last and, night, and I, I make light of it, but Jonathan is on the list. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, he is a nominee. Okay. <laughs> He's a little, you know, record-setting second sacker from Oglethorpe. He is. He's a. You still have the the record for the most double plays turned. Yeah. He's a stormy petrol. Yeah. Uh, that's a true story. He's, he's yeah. in the record books for most double plays turned at Oglethorpe. I, I'm putting him on the list right now. <laughs> yeah. He's a nominee. Yeah, I think you do. Um, in, in the meantime, um, you, you've got two games left with Washington. Then you have three games with Chicago. And then the schedule really toughens up with the Giants and the Dodgers coming to town. But you're in the midst of a 12-game winning streak. You win tonight and tomorrow. That will tie where they were nine years ago. Uh, they're chasing their longest winning streak in nine years. The 2013 team had a 14-game winning streak. I was looking this up earlier. The longest winning streak in the history of the franchise, and it comes with a little bit of a caveat, uh, the, the Boston Bean Eaters in 1897, I think it was, won 17 in a row. However, there were ties in there. And I have a hard time counting that. They, they, they said there's some unofficial tie ball games and Winning streak means you win every night. You know, how many was it? I think 17. Okay, said. let's say it was 17. Um, in those days... Yeah, 17 and 1897. Uh, you could go back and look at the day-by-day, but uh, nine of those wins or 10 of those wins might have been against the same team. Could have been, yeah. You know, some bottom seller dweller type team that, you know, there's only about six teams in the league total. So you might have been beating the tar out of somebody a whole lot back yeah. in those days. Here's Here it is. Here's the official number on that. The 1891 Boston Bean Eaters won 18 in a row. There were, in that streak, unofficial ties not included in the win total. But the 1897 Boston Bean Eaters did win 17 consecutive games. So that would be the longest, in my book, official winning streak yeah. in franchise history. And, and you're going back, you know, uh, 120 years. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. It, it's Even if they lose tonight and the streak ends at 12, I'm just so thankful that we're in a position where we can look up the 1897 Boston Bean Eaters yeah. and have this conversation. Because up until this winning streak started, they didn't have a three-game winning streak. And now they're knocking on the door of 13. Yeah, that's a good so point. So that's a really good turnaround, and I'll take it even if it ends tonight. That's a very good point. I I don't think they will. Uh, we've watched this team as a group play together too long to say 
that there's a concern of having their dauber down tonight because of the loss of Ozzie. Is he going to affect people? Sure. They're going to miss him. They're going to miss him in the clubhouse and in the dugout. Uh, his energy and enthusiasm rubs off on everybody. And his leadership, uh, that's a huge part of the absence of Ozzie Albies, uh, what he brings to the field every day. And I'll ask Brian Snitker about it later today on his show. He's one of, he's one of Brian's favorite players. You know, it's hard for a manager to say uh, this guy or that guy's one of my favorites because of his guys down there. Right. But he loves Ozzie, and he has said to us numerous times, if I had 26 guys uh, of the ilk of Ozzy Albies, I'd be thrilled to death. And he's such a glue guy for the clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, he speaks, what, about seven different languages. Yeah. And he can go talk to someone who struggles with English as much as he can go talk to someone who struggles with, with Spanish. Yeah. And and he's a unifier in the in the clubhouse. So um, we'll be missing him, just missing his presence. Before he even steps on the field, just missing him in the clubhouse, in the traveling party, seeing him around, that'll be a big loss. Uh, we talked about this on the last podcast, I think. And that was that uh, you don't have to walk by Ozzy face-to-face for him to say hello. If he's at a, in the restaurant or the hotel or whatever and walks up from behind you, he'll always pat you on the shoulder or something and say, how you doing? Yeah. Always. Yeah. And uh, that's just the kind of guy he is and the kind of guy it's tough to lose. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about the loss, and that is that, and we touched on this a little bit last night, after the injury, this unit on the infield, and let's let's say Freddie and uh, Matt Olson are interchangeable in this at first base, but it's been so lucky slash fortunate to have everybody take the field every night for the last two plus years. Yeah, you know we've been very fortunate that there hasn't been any kind of injury like this before last night. So um, plug in somebody else. Hope that everybody else stays healthy and carry on. And the team is used to doing that. They did it last year, missing Travis for three months. Yeah. And they did it missing Acuna from July through the end of the season. They found a way to plug away, continue to win, and win the World Series. So they know how to do this and looking forward to seeing what's ahead in the next 100 ball games and where it goes from there. Um, tonight, Max Fried is on the mound for the Braves. And just looking at his numbers every five days, He's turning into a Cy Young candidate. I don't know if there's any mm-hmm. doubt about that. He's two earned runs or fewer, I think, in eight straight starts or something like that. The last time he lost was to the Nationals over two months ago at home. And and I can forgive the first two outings for any starting pitcher this season with a shortened spring training. Max wasn't quite up to 100% what, what starting pitcher was. Right. And since then, man, he's flipped on a switch. Um, I mean, just stone-faced every time he goes out there, mean and ready to win a ball game. And I love seeing him out there every five days. There's a saying, a, a, a trap game. I don't know if it applies. I don't even know which sport it applies to. Tonight, I look at this as kind of a trap game. Braves have won 12 in a row. Nationals are not playing well. Uh, they are calling up a young man to make his first major league start, his first his major league debut tonight, pitching against Max Fried. I mean, the odds are incredibly heavy in favor of the Braves. Right. And it's almost like, don't don't let up. You know, I've seen this happen too often where some guy gets called up and decades ago against the Braves, they had struggles against guys they'd never faced before. And let's hope that's not one of those cases tonight. Yeah, this kid tonight, Jackson Tatro is his name. 26 years old, right-hander, making his debut 
Florida kid and uh, fastball, curveball changeup, and that's really all we know about him. So it's always exciting to see somebody make his big league debut. But And you can answer this question. If you're one of those guys in the lineup, and we saw the Braves get out to a good start last night, you want to jump all over that guy. I mean, there's even a greater emphasis on an early start against a guy like this, isn't there? Somebody's seen him. You know, somebody somewhere in the minor leagues has seen this guy. Um, Maybe they've played against him in 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 AAA, in International League, something along those lines. Uh, So he's not going to have any secrets. There's going to be video of him. And there's going to be a lot of studying going on before the first pitch tonight. But, yes, remember how nervous he is going to be. Remember how tense he is expected to be. His first major league start against the defending world champions who are on a 12-game winning streak. Go, go, <laughs> go get, get them. Go, yeah, and be sure and change your shorts before you yeah, go out there. Exactly. So what's your approach against a guy like that? Are you, are you more aggressive do you want to see more pitches how does that work out well it doesn't matter what i say because i know that ronald's going to swing at that first (laughs) pitch and try to hit it right through the guy um but for the most part for me i want to see the ball out of his hand at least once right i want to see where it comes from what arm angle what slot all those things so that i know where to look for the ball out of his hand on all the subsequent pitches so i may not swing at the first pitch and i may uh, take one down the middle, but at least I've seen a pitch so that the next time I come up, I'm not still searching. Yeah. Speaking of searching, tell you who's not searching anymore is Adam Duvall. I mean, it's been a, a great last week for him. Bottom of the order has been great. Ever since Michael Harris came up, things just started to shuffle into place, didn't they? Yeah. Adam goes to left. We're seeing Ronald every day and right now with his knee back to 100%. What that's done for the bottom of the order, Adam Duvall has really looked great. Power numbers are there. And all of a sudden, you look at the lineup top to bottom, and and I think you look at it similarly to how you looked at it in August and September of last year where you're saying – it's deep again. Where do opposing pitchers go to get outs? Now you just hope that it stays that way for a while. Yeah, you do. And uh, I applaud uh, Kevin Seitzer and uh, Jose Castro for um, making, helping Adam make the adjustments. Brian Sinkers talked about how hard Adam works, how much time he puts in uh, to try to get over the hump with this slow start he was in. But for their suggestions, according to Adam, of changing his angle, his swing angle was a little bit too much of an uppercut, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think because of that, at least in my opinion, if that was the case, he was also trying to pull too much. We discussed this, I think, in Colorado where, you know, there's a lot of room in right center. And we saw him with power hit to right center and right field last year. Lo and behold, I, I think he had at least one home run to the opposite field on the home stand if right. not two. I just love when you have multiple guys step up because where Adam is right now compared to where he was two weeks ago, night and day difference. Yeah, Dansby Swanson stepped up. He's had a huge month. I yeah. mean, Dansby looks like the best shortstop in the league he might, right now. He might be on his way to being the player of the month in the National League. I think so. He stepped up. Wilson or uh, William Contreras has been incredible for the team, and it's not easy what he's been asked to do because he's not out there every single day like like Dansby or Adam. He's in there three times a week, but when his name's called, he comes up and he's hacking, and he's hitting doubles, and he's hitting homers, and when he's not in there, Travis Darno's hitting home runs. I just love the production from what you're getting behind the plate, and, and altogether, all those guys surging at the same time. It's been so lethal. It's often said that um, hitting is contagious. Good hitting is contagious among a team, and, and it is. I think it is, and that goes to – Uh, the mental makeup and the confidence. Uh, Hitting is so mental with respect to 
when you're going good and how you see the ball and you hear guys say, my gosh, it looks like a beach ball coming up there. Well, that's because you're trusting yourself. You're waiting. You're not trying to be overly aggressive to jump out there and get the pitch. There are all kinds of mechanical factors that work into this, but it all goes to confidence. Uh, Look at Dansby. He's a different guy. Yeah. At the beginning of the year when he was striking out three out of four times per game and his helmet's flying off and he's having to pick it up and carry it back to the dugout, that was a guy who was just scuffling and mentally, you know, kind of down. He would never admit to being mentally beaten, never. But he was off. And now there's nothing going to hold him back, and that's kind of rubbed off on some of these other guys. And when you've got the mental makeup that this team has right now, uh, I wouldn't want to pitch against them. No. They, they think they can hit anything you throw up there. It's what we saw last year when they took off and won the World Series. Yes. So that exact same makeup and confidence, and I love seeing it because we see that, and we're broadcasting the game, and we think, well, they're about to win again tonight. And it's it's hard to imagine them losing when they have that look in their eye and and that confidence level that they've displayed. It's it's the look in their eye that I see in you when I see you with a plate of food, knowing you can go back <laughs> to the buffet line and get a second plate. Yes. It's like you're not going to be denied. I mean, the, the confidence is just so high. Oh, it's just your eyeballs are popping out of your head. Yeah, it's my favorite time <laughs> of the day. <laughs> By the way, is it time to eat yet? <laughs> Getting close, 4 o'clock here. Um, we'll go ahead and jump into the questions. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. We have, we have a few comments. I just want to start right there. One from Cameron where he says, I'm not saying Jay Chad's, sto- uh, Jay Chad's toe started the winning streak, but I'm not saying that it didn't. And we also had a question or rather the, uh, a comment from someone who said Gerardo Perdomo almost killing us with a foul ball might have started the winning yeah. streak for the Braves. Woke us up. Yeah, that woke us up. And then Jay Chad's toe really got us going because mm-hmm. he, he had that bag of ice on his foot the whole time we were in Colorado. And sometimes you need something like that just to shake it up and get things going. And I think these uh, these listeners are right on with their Yeah, I, I think Cameron's really close on that one, too. I, I don't have any argument at all with that. What's your favorite part about working in D.C.? That's from Kim. You have a favorite thing about this town? Well, yeah. I I mentioned it to Snit yesterday on his show. We get to drive by the Treasury Department and see our money. Yeah. Um, that's, Check in on it. Yeah, that, just to see what's what's going on with it. Not much of it left over there. Um, I, I, I have a great fondness and appreciation and patriotism, I guess, the patriotic feeling of when we're driving around and seeing the monuments, you know, whether it's the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, the U.S. Capitol, the Pentagon, whatever, you know, take your pick. Arlington Cemetery, for crying out loud. There's just a sense of patriotism here that uh, is so overwhelming to me. Uh, that's my favorite part. That's a good one. JC, what about you? I could not agree more with Joe. I think he had it spot on if there's anything i would say more than that on the way to the ballpark and the way home but especially on the way to the ballpark each afternoon when you cross the potomac river and you look down and you see the bridge and the boats and things like that i enjoy seeing stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm. those are good my brother lives here so i love uh, knowing that i'll get an opportunity to see him he's coming to the game tomorrow night with three friends and want to catch up with him but i'm right there with you guys i love seeing the history and such and we we come here three times and I won't do anything this trip while we're here, but at, at some point each year when one of the three trips, you want to wake up and 
uh, get going early so you can plan, hey, I want to go check out the Smithsonian this day or go walk around the Washington Monument or go see Arlington National Cemetery. If you can plan it and get up, you can go see it, and you're always glad that you did. Yeah, it's uh, there's just so much to do. I encourage anyone with um, children that are old enough to understand what they're seeing uh, with the respect to the museums and all, come here and spend at least a couple of days. And I would say, you know, Ben pointed out Arlington. I've walked to Arlington, I can't tell you, countless times. And I've watched the changing of the garden. It's just so moving every single time. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see, you know, in the distance, the river and then the, the planes landing at, uh, at Reagan, it's, it's, it's a cool sight. Hey, I have a question with regard to that. Um, I'm not sure I quite understand why there's this custom. Uh, Audie Murphy, uh, Medal of Honor winner, actor, uh, is buried real close to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the Changing of the Guard. And I, there are coins on his headstone and around his grave marker. And, unless, and if you guys know, I'm happy to hear, but I'm wondering if somebody can clue us in, clue me in, on what the significance is of the coins that are left for those, uh, for, in this case, Audie Murphy. All right, I'm reading here. I okay. just Googled this as you were saying this. According to tradition, coins are placed in the mouths or on the eyes of the deceased to pay Sharon, Sharon, C-H-A-R-O-N, the ferryman of Hades, to transport the deceased across the river Styx that separates the living from the dead, and some people put coins on gravestones. Okay, in, I, I in lieu of that. Well, I know that was the case, you know, for um, the Greeks, for the, uh, well, you know, when I watched Troy, and uh, they did that for uh, here you Brad, go, here Brad, you go. Brad Pitt. I got a better, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, I got a better one here for you. This is, um, why do you leave coins on soldiers' graves? A coin left on a headstone lets the deceased soldier's family know that somebody stopped by to pay their respect. A penny means you visited. A nickel means you and the deceased veteran trained at boot camp together. Mm. And a dime means you and the deceased veteran served together in some capacity. No kidding. Well, there you go. I love that. Thank you. And if you've never been to Arlington and you've watched the changing of the guard, when you do go, you'll probably, if you're really paying attention, you'll probably figure out pretty quick the number 21 so the tomb guard marches exactly 21 steps down this black map behind the tomb he'll then turn he'll face east for 21 seconds he'll then turn north he'll face north for 21 seconds then he takes 21 steps back down the the mat and he repeat he repeats that process and if you're wondering why 21 well 21 symbolizes the highest military honor that uh, can be bestowed the 21 gun salute that's awesome. Thanks, Jay Chad. Thanks to both of you for looking that up for me. Hey, um, we get College World Series time. They're about to get kicked. They're about to kick off, and this comes from uh, Jeff in Joplin, Missouri. Great baseball town. Uh, hey, Ben, Joe, and Jay Chad. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the growth and development of college baseball over the last ten plus years, with schools putting greater inf- investment into. Programs like the facilities, recruitment, coaches' salaries, et cetera. Have you seen this impact the game at the professional level? Are you seeing more players come out of college baseball that are big league ready than they were, say, 20 years ago? Thanks for the great work on the broadcast and podcast. Jeff. 
I think that we definitely are. Um, I think facilities goes a long way. What what a lot of these universities have discovered, in my opinion, is that baseball can be a moneymaker sport. And, and if you can make money, you're going to invest money into whatever that is. And that's especially the case in the SEC and the ACC. It is the case in a few other schools throughout the uh uh, throughout the West and obviously in, in the uh, in the Big 12, where facilities have gotten significantly better. And I look back to uh, college baseball in the 70s and 80s with Augie Garrido and Skip Berkman and Ron Polk and some of these other forefathers of the game who really um, went hard for college baseball, begged the NCAA for more scholarships, begged for more funds so they could build better facilities and such. And if you go back 20, 30 years, you might have had – I mean, it was the same teams in the College World Series all the time. I mean, the SEC yeah. was LSU, Mississippi State. And then you yeah. had Texas, Cal State, Fullerton, USC, Arizona State, Oklahoma. You didn't have it so widespread. And now you've got so many other universities now. I mean, look at the College World Series field. Half of it's the SEC. And look at these facilities in the SEC. They're like AA and AAA facilities. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely in the process enhance the talent of the players who are going through those programs because winning is so important and schools are investing money uh, and funds into their baseball programs. That's great to see. Here's what I'd like to see them invest in, and that's more scholarships. Yeah. Raise the limit because when I was playing in the 70s, you know, we had 15 to 20 guys on full rides or the coach was able to divide those, you know, to a half scholarship. That was big. Right. Uh, And then now college baseball, I think, was it 11? There's 11.5. It's horrible. And if you want to see the game really take off, you need to raise that. And what that will do, and maybe uh, the Braves uh, scouts will get on me for saying this because they're trying to sign these players out of high school. Right. But it's going to give these players an option to go to school that's being paid for, by and large, to more, uh, let's say, develop mentally, mature a little bit. I had a chance to sign out of high school. If I'd signed, I've said before, I wouldn't have lasted three years. Yeah. I'd have been done. I went to college, and I went from a 14th-round draft pick to a third-round draft pick. I was more prepared to play pro baseball then and ready to physically, too, than I would have been in high school. And I think um, the more scholarships that are offered – the better you're going to see the product coming out of college. Right. Uh, I don't know if there are more players that are big league ready than there were 20 years ago, but they're just playing at such a high caliber of play now. The competition level is so high that I think that's where you see these guys have really improved. And the coverage has grown in a a major way. Another thing that I know the NCAA needs to change, in my opinion, they regulate how many assistant coaches each team can have i think it's only one and i know that there's a big push within the last year year and a half about a ruling to add another position and they denied that i think that was a terrible decision me too um and, and i think that needs to change i, I think the, the more and i don't i don't understand why that's regulated the way that it is but um there there needs to be uh, another position available for coaches it shouldn't be uh, a part-time coach that's helping full-time with a college baseball team or whatever this and, and I, is frankly i didn't know that i didn't know it was limited to one because you see if you go to a, a website and you look up a team and look up their coaching staff there's always three or four guys right beyond the head coach uh and some of them might be graduate assistants or there might be one graduate assistant but 
uh, I, I'm really surprised to hear that there's only one full-time guy allowed. Uh, and, and with this question from this this gentleman in Joplin, Missouri, go back. Uh, it's a long way, but go back when I played in the early '70s. This is a big-time school, baseball school. We went to the College World Series five straight years. We didn't have assistance. Ena Seymour was our head coach for the three years I was at OU. We didn't have any assistance. Wow. He threw batting practice. He hit infield. He did the bullpens with the pitchers. He did everything. He did the recruiting all on his own. He was a one-man show. Man. That's it. He was the only guy. So think about it in today's terms, how difficult that would be. Yeah. Uh, they need to grow all of that and, and maybe we can get an email about that to, to clear it up and, and i might be off on the exact number but i know that that was there was a push that all the coaching staffs around uh the, the nation wanted with college baseball and it was denied i know there are a lot of people that were upset about that well you and i have our teams were going to be pulling four in omaha so yeah good luck to to us exactly <laughs> this question comes from keith when you guys visit the cities you do so often and so many times over the course of the years, do you ever find yourself not seeing anything more than your hotel room and the ballpark? Yeah, sometimes. I think it depends on the, the schedule because you might have um, – let, let's say we have the Sunday night game at home. It's the ESPN game. So you're going to be leaving late. You fly somewhere. You get there late that night on a Monday. You play Monday night. You play Tuesday, and then you have a day game on a Wednesday, and that's a getaway day. When, when those line up like that, you're barely in that city. It's not like you're parachuting in, get the job done, you're out of there. Those are times where I might see nothing but my hotel room in the ballpark. But outside of that, I think we all try to challenge each, ourselves to, to walk around, get see something for lunch or, or whatever, and at least get out a little bit, see a few blocks around the hotel. Yeah, I think – what you just referred to, Ben, those quick turnaround games when you're in a city and you have, you know, you get there, you've got there at four or five o'clock in the morning, you have a game that day, you got a day game two days later and you're out of there. There's been times, and I'm sure it's probably happened to both of you at some point. I remember we were in Cincinnati. I think it was 2019. It was 18 or 19. We were in Cincinnati and we played Sunday night baseball in Cleveland. We get to Cincinnati and I woke up Monday morning uh, or Monday afternoon, I should say, and I didn't know where I was. I was like, where are we again? And I had to get my hotel room key and look, and it said, you know, the hotel name in Cincinnati. I said, oh, yeah, we're in Cincinnati. Had no idea where we were. I know it can happen. It's easy to have, have that happen. Uh, I have to admit that um, until the last four or five years, New York was never high on my list. I didn't like going there. Uh, I didn't appreciate what it had to offer. I didn't certainly didn't take advantage of what it had to offer. And that's contrary to a lot of people who love to go to New York. But honestly, I was so disinterested. I didn't know if I walked out of my hotel, I didn't know which way to go to the Bowery. Mm -hmm. I didn't know which way to go, you know, to, to the park, to or, the park or anything yeah. else. I didn't care. I got on the bus, went to the ballpark. I came back. Yeah. That's how disinterested I was in New York. Now there were times where we had an off day and we'd go to a show, go to dinner my God, I had a great day. Yeah. Great time. Uh, but until the last, about the last five years where I finally figured out where everything is and how to get there, <laughs> um, it was uh, one of those where I've been there a hundred times as the writer asks, but uh, wasn't, wasn't all that interested in finding out more about it. Yeah. It, it, it's, it depends on the schedule. I mean, I think about this trip, for instance, here in DC, our getaway day tomorrow is a night game. 
So I feel like we have a lot more time here than we normally would. It's just a few hours difference. But to me, having another full morning and early afternoon tomorrow before our bags are due, uh, I've thought about some ideas. Maybe I can go over to Georgetown. I have breakfast tomorrow. I'll catch up on Uber over there. I walked to a place this morning, some diner I looked up. I do this every city we go to. Uh, I always Google breakfast near me. See what the options are. All right, I'll pick that one, and I'll walk to wherever that is and see what I see along the way. And if something interests me, I'll Google it and do some research on it. But Jonathan, have you noticed that everything is food-related? Everything. Everything. Yeah, okay. Just checking. Yeah. All right, this is um, – I like this one. This is from Matthew in Rector, Arkansas. And he says, how hard would it be to get a mic for J-Chad for a game? The podcast listeners appreciate how hard he works to keep you guys on the air. Everyone else should know that, too. And also, St. Louis is the closest – Uh, The Braves come to our family's home in Northeast Arkansas. We will see you guys in late August. St. Louis does a nice job telling history of their franchise, nice museums, statues, etc. What other franchises do you think uh, best tell the history of their teams in this way? Keep up the great work, Matthew, in Arkansas. I think the Reds are at the top of the list. The the Reds Hall of Fame down there, uh, first base line outside their ballpark is unbelievable. Yeah, and it's very inclusive. It it basically... They are players that are voted on by fans. For, for their team Hall of Fame? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I remember Tommy Helms went in the other day or a few years ago. Well, he was not a Hall of Fame player, but he was very popular among the Cincinnati fans and a good player. Right. And um, when they opened it up for voting, had some nominees, he went in right away. I like that. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I like the expansion uh, of um, and the inclusion of a lot of different players who are fan favorites. I think that's great. I think for a team Hall of Fame, that, that is a, a great way to look at it. I understand uh, maybe you're not quite as inclusive with the Baseball Hall of Fame, the National Baseball Hall of Fame. There would be standards. It's, that It's different. Yeah, it's completely different. But for a team Hall of Fame, I think it should be uh, I think it should be run by the fans in terms of who's in there because that's exactly who, whoever they want to see is who ought to be in the team's Hall of Fame. I like the way they do that there. And let's um, let's reiterate how great Everything is in Atlanta with respect to statues, history of the uh, organization, the Hall of Fame, which we mentioned Carol and Sarah last night. We're hoping she's on the men and feeling better. Uh, and the, the tours that go through all of that. Yeah, that Monument that, Garden. Monument Garden. That's all just wonderful. Um, you know, this fan is a, obviously close to St. Louis and has been to Bush Stadium. And the the thing that the Cardinals do that I think is so good, and it was even better in the Bush Stadium before this one, was how they had in the outfield, in the upper deck, and I don't know if you went there, Ben, and saw it, but they had yeah. the re- the flags, up, flags there up there in the upper deck, flag poles. Right. Yeah, with uh, the various uh, championships and their retired numbers. They did a fabulous job with that, and I miss it in the new ballpark. Like each year had its own pedestal yes. with its own flagpole. Yes, yeah, that was, was really, really cool. cool. Now then, uh, far be it for me to be a, a judge of art. I'm, I'm not <laughs> uh, uh, educated that way. Sure. I only know what I see. And that statue of poor Stan Musial, when they re- unveiled that, he had to go, oh, oh. What? He's like hunched over. And I know his batting stance was uh, very unique, but. It looks like I made the hat <laughs> and put it on his head. It's it's just awful. And that's all I'll say about okay. that. Okay. But they do have some good statues there outside that ballpark. 
JJ, are we getting you a mic or what? No, I think it's a uh, stretch to give me a mic for the podcast. So during the games, <laughs> I will stay off the mic. Okay. Because we had two questions asking if, if you could be on during a game. That was one of them from Matthew. And there's another one from somebody else talking about you. That was from Kevin. He said, why doesn't Jay Chet have a mic during the regular season broadcast? He could occasionally ch- chime in like uh, Papa Bowie does on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> also, does Jay Chad secretly practice doing play-by-play calls in the mirror? The answer to that is no. Um, very nice of you guys, but my job is behind these guys, and that's where it's going to stay. Well, and you got to get up and, and go do stuff, too. You know, you got to run if something goes wrong or haywire, or you've got to try to uh, go down the hall to the home booth in this case and get something. You know, you, or, if, you know, if Ben needs more food. Well, right. that's just kind of a given. Um, but sometimes you have to leave the booth for a brief moment to make sure that everything's accommodated. Right. Uh, let's see. There was one back here. Uh, let me retrace here. This is from Amy. Um, from Glencoe, Alabama, near Gadsden. She said, my favorite Brave of all time is Chipper Jones. I've had the privilege of watching him play and meeting him on his book tour. That's cool. What is your favorite Chipper memory on or off the field? Thanks for all you do to bring the game to the fans. What's your favorite Chipper memory, guys? Oh, man. Um, well... I think before I was ever with the Braves Radio Net- uh, Radio Network, I would say the um, 95 Rockies series, um, winning the World Series, that whole postseason. Chipper in 99 versus the Mets was superhuman. So those are the memories I had of him prior to coming here. Once I came here, just getting to know him, um, the home run versus Jonathan Papelbon, which is his final home run of all time, mm-hmm. uh, walk off against the Phillies, and and then just picking his brain and, and listening to him talk about the game. Uh, those I know that you're looking for one particular moment. I can't give you one, but those are a bunch that I have. And any time I've been around him, whether it was uh, two or three weeks ago or whether it was 12 years ago, I, I've always felt like I was in the presence of an all-time great, and that's never lost on me. The one thing that sticks out, it's, it's hard for me to, to not think about the Papelbon, the walk-off, the home run. Uh, but other than that, just uh, every time I've been fortunate enough to be around Chipper, just uh, he's he's a he's a regular guy. You know, I feel like he treats everyone the same, and um, you know, I enjoy every time we get a chance to see him. I was fortunate enough um, not to see every single at bat he ever had, but pretty close. Yeah, you know, I was here for his whole career and from beginning to end. And with the exception of a few missed games here and there, uh, it was uh, it was wonderful to watch him evolve into the player he was. I mean, he came up a great player. Uh, his first year, he's batting third in a lineup that won the world championship. Uh, but just to see um, the influence he then was able to utilize on other players, you know, things he learned from Terry Pendleton or Sid Bream, or David Justice, uh, those things uh, paid dividends down the road with other players who came into the Braves organization. Certainly Freddie Freeman comes to mind right away. Uh, I, I love that about Chipper and how he used that knowledge to help the team. Uh, secondly, it seemed like every time, you know, Chipper had his share, fair share of time on the disabled list. 
And every time it seemed like he came back, his first game back from the DL, he hit a homer. And I remember one in San Francisco that he hit a splash homer out there in that ballpark. And it was like, well, here we go again. You know, he's on the D, he missed uh, two weeks and now here he's back and he's about to go on a tear. And then, um, then when he just single handedly destroyed the New York Mets, you know, right. Home run after home run, big hit, big play, just a one man wrecking crew against the Mets to win the MVP basically yeah. in August and September. Uh, that was, that'll always be in my mind for Chipper and something else. One last thing, um, late in his career, you know, if things weren't, the team wasn't playing real well or we're going through a little uh, bad patch or something, once in a great while, we would uh, say, okay, when we get into the hotel on the road, we're going to have a powwow. And we would have a little sit down and we would sit down with an adult beverage and uh, Chipper and Chip Carey and I and you know, a couple other players, you know, Adam LaRoche or some other guys might sit down and start talking. And we just talk about the state of the team and the nature of baseball in general. And it was wonderful to be able to sit there and talk to somebody like him and like the other guys to find out what their true feelings were about. And, yeah. and then it never left that table. Mm-hmm. So so that was what was that was really good. Yeah, it is great. One of the best. Um, this is from Kurt. He says, I have two questions. First is, do the radio booths have windows that you could close to stay out of the inclement weather, extreme heat, extreme cold, or rain? And the second is, when preparing for a series, you all have said before that you spend a few hours getting ready. How do you go about that? Do you read the game notes and then look at baseball reference only? What do you typically do? Uh, What do you typically look for, and and where all do you look? I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. That's from Kurt. We do have windows, and we can open or close them. I, I like to have them open no matter what the situation is, whether it's I mean, it'd have to be really, really extreme for me to want to close the window. I just like the attachment of uh, the crowd and all that. Um, but it's, it's usually cold. Yes. It, it, it's it's more cold and a cold wind blowing right in her face that kind of forces that issue. Mm, exactly. All, all the windows and all these booths at these different stadiums are completely different. Yeah. So some, like, uh, for example, we're working at Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. as we record this. These windows here, I could um, I could maneuver these to where I could still have crowd mics outside of these windows and basically shut the windows down to the mic level so you wouldn't get wet or if you were freezing cold. And no one would be able to tell the difference as far as the sound of the broadcast goes. We do work at places, uh, our own ballpark, Truist Park, for example. It would be very difficult to do a game there with the windows shut because they're an accordion-style window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a so they're different everywhere. It's definitely a chore to open and close that window. When, when it opens, it, you better be keeping it open, and likewise, when you close it, you better be keeping it closed because it's not going to open and close back and forth. Um, and as far as getting ready for a game, yeah, we, we've got the game notes. I've kind of got my own system, things that I look at on baseball reference, um, things that I look at on baseball savant, especially when it comes to a pitcher. You know, for instance, um, last night, Erasmo Ramirez uh, is, is, is starting the game against us. And he was a late addition. They scratched Josiah Gray late. I go right to baseball savant, look him up, and it gives me everything that he throws, how often he throws it, things like that. And that gives me an idea of what he throws because I, I want to be able to look at a 
reading of a velocity, see a number, and know a pitch. And over the last two, three seasons, we've seen these video boards get a lot more uh, advanced when it comes to breaking down what a pitch is. Now it seems like every ballpark now, it'll say fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, sinker. So, and it's like instant. Yeah, it's instant, which is helpful for us. But we're used to seeing uh, 86. Well, I know this guy has a slider, a fastball, and a changeup. Well, I see the 86, and I know, okay, that's probably a slider. Mm-hmm. Here's 90, here's his changeup. Here's 98, he, here's his heater. So I could look at that number, and that's how I would know, okay, uh, that matches what this guy throws on a scouting report, so I know here's what that pitch is. So that, those are some of the things that I look at, and uh, I kind of go off the beaten path, Kurt, when it comes to looking up weird things, interesting things. And just for to give you an idea of that, for last night, Josiah Gray, who was supposed to go, I see that he's – uh, four or five months older than Ian Anderson, and they're both from New York. So I went down the rabbit hole of where they both first team all stayed in high school. Did they ever play against each other? Who? What other ball players went to that same high school? Were they teammates together? That stuff interests me, and whether I get it out over the air or not, I like to have that in my back pocket and know it and have a couple of nuggets along the way. Yeah, you always have good stuff like that. I enjoy it too. I've got uh, we're rounding third, heading home here, and I've got one here from. Uh, Pat Douglas in Melbourne, Florida, which is not too far from where the Braves trained when I first came here in West Palm Beach. But he says, um, Jay Chad, do you ever take any time off? How many days have you taken off since you've been with the Braves? You must have a Cal Ripken kind of streak going. That's his first question. Let's answer that one. Uh, The question, do I ever take any time off? Of course I do. It's called the off season. Uh, how many days have I taken off since I've been with the Braves? Zero. Uh, as far as the Cal Ripken streak, um, I hope I'm fortunate enough and I have enough luck on my side to go well past uh, the Cal Ripken streak because I enjoy showing up to the ballpark every single day. I would feel very weird if I had to miss a game and I was not there. I'd probably be, you know, I know the broadcast would go on, but I'd probably be worried that, you know, does Joe have this when he needs this? Does Ben have what he needs? Uh, things like that. So um, we've talked about this before, but we're very fortunate that we get time in the off season, a lot of downtime. So I know for about an eight-month stretch, I'm working every day, and that's what I do. He's a gamer, Pat. He's a gamer. He doesn't miss. He, he, he straps it on and shows up and does his job, and he does it well. This question is also from Pat, and it's for all of us. If there were any two – wants to know if there were any two sporting events you could attend as a fan that you haven't attended yet, what would they be? Hmm. I'll go Kentucky Derby because I want to go we, – we never can. Yeah. This is in the middle of the season. I want to experience that. And I'd love to go to um, either a Super Bowl or a Final Four – just a really big event for Final Four. It'd be you know you're going to three games. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. And then for the Super Bowl, we got the lead up of everything happening in that city for three or four days prior. So that'd be my take. I'm I'm lucky. I've been to uh, I think five or six Super Bowls. I've been to three Final Fours. I've been to the Masters. Obviously, the World Series. I've seen a lot of big time sporting events. The two that I think that if I had to pick two right now, I'd agree with Ben and say the Kentucky Derby, but the other one I would say is uh, probably probably the Open Championship. Oh, that's a good one too. I like that. Uh, Kentucky Derby will make that a uh, triumvirate right there. I can't wait to go to the Kentucky Derby one day soon. And 
And there's several others that probably tied for second, like the Daytona 500 or the Indianapolis 500. Um, you know, those two things kind of stand out. Uh, World Women's Beach Volleyball Championship. I'd kind of like to go that see that. That wouldn't be bad. I'd like to go see that too. Uh, also, here's the last question for everybody. If you were given an all-expenses-paid trip to anywhere outside of the U.S., where would you go? You guys have been all over the world. I'd have yeah. to go uh, somewhere, uh, back to somewhere I've been. Uh, I'd make it a two-week trip. I'd go to Santorini, Greece for a week, and then I'd leave Greece, and I'd come back up to uh, Italy and probably stay somewhere on the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, I would definitely not go anywhere I've been. I'd go somewhere totally different. So I'd either be um, uh, probably south of France for me, Monaco, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking um, Ireland and Scotland. You'd love it. It's awesome. And uh, and then maybe I, I don't have any real desire to go to Paris, but yeah, somewhere on the um, you know Monaco. Yeah. Hello, I'll go there. Somewhere Some I good wine, good food, and casino. Somewhere I haven't been that I guess I'd like to go is. Um, I'd like to go down to Australia. Yeah. South Africa, New Zealand. Well, you've got a, a, an open invite from Pete to be his bat boy. I do. So Pete manages in the off season down in Australia, and he's told me that uh, if I make it down, he'll put me in uniform. And- <laughs> Peter Moylan. All right. Good What's deal. the name of his team? The Aces? Yeah. The Melbourne Aces. Wow. I bet he's great. I bet he's a great manager. You know he is. You know he is. That's all I got. All right. JC, you got anything else? Let's see. There was one more. Rachel wanted to know boxers or briefs. Wouldn't you like to know, Rachel? I would mm-hmm. say boxer briefs. Yeah, boxer briefs. Um, th- there's a there's another option in there. Okay, what, hey, Chad? <laughs> oh, I've, Commando Joe. I've heard you. <laughs> I've heard you guys mention how high your booth is in D.C. What are the what are the disadvantages? Is there anything positive? Is it a comfortable booth at least? It's a big booth. Comfortable booth. Yeah. That's very nice, that that aspect of it. We wish it was about 150 feet lower. Yeah. And by the second game, I, I feel like I'm kind of in sync. First few innings, uh, for instance, last night, Travis's home run down the left field line, I, I didn't know what that ball was doing. It, it's so, because we're so high, it's hard to really get a gauge of how deep a ball is hit. And by the time Dansby hit his and Michael hit his, you've, you know, I think I was kind of locked in and, and calibrated with the height that we are in this booth but uh, it takes me a few innings kind of get locked in the ones that get me are the ones like uh, uh ronald hit to short last night kind of a soft line drive and when it came off the bat it from up here it looks like it's headed toward left center and it didn't even get on get out of the dirt yeah so those are the ones that fool me and they're hard to read all right we're going to finish with this one we have uh one question left and um, let me find this one. I, I, I memorize it off the top of my head. But um, the writer was, was saying that they I had have seen. I in front of me. You've got that? Yeah. Who's that from? It's, it's from Ron. Okay. Let me he, find that right quick. Yeah. Yeah. You want to just go ahead and read it? Ben, ben memorized it. And he there it is. You have it in front it. of well, you. I knew, I knew how to. <laughs> I wanted to read it specifically. Okay. Because it was asking about J. Chad's height. He said, I've seen oh, some. Oh, yeah. Some group pictures of you guys. Is Jay Chad the shortest member of the traveling party? That's from Ron. I thought I, I thought I was uh, until today, and it's uh, been confirmed that I am not. We had a measurement contest. So Kelly Kroll and I got back to back, and uh, we have pictures to prove it in case we need to put that out there. But um, I thought Kelly had me. I'm not going to lie. 
but I got her by what would you say an oh, inch maybe? Easy. Yeah, you got her. You you like sky hooked over. Yeah, you you could you could post up on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Kelly is is a little bit shorter than Jay Chad, but our guy's got a lot of heart and a ton of fight. What about Brandon Brandon Culpepper on TV? Side? Oh, that's a good point. He, I think I have Culpepper. You got him. Yeah. So I got two. That'll be a tough matchup. That'll be the next podcast. We'll yeah. find out for sure. Brandon works in the TV truck. He's one of the technicians there. So we'll figure that one out. Yeah. Who's the tallest person in the traveling party? Chip? Probably. Yeah. Chip's about, what, 6'6"? Six, six? We might have a player that's around there, but outside of that, I mean, how tall is Matt Olson? 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Matt's got him maybe. But, yeah. you know, Chip doesn't look as tall because of width. You know, when you're what I didn't, I mean, I don't mean it that way, but you know, he's, he's a big guy. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I did mean it that way. Well, that is the end of our show. I'm glad we finished on a high note, (laughs) Um, but we'll be back with you. uh, Hopefully next week. I know that this road trip continues into Chicago and and I've heard from lots of folks who are actually making the trip to Chicago. They've said, we're going to see you guys there. Can't wait. First trip to Wrigley, that kind of thing. So that's always cool. So expecting more Braves fans at Wrigley because Braves fans have done a great job at a lot of these cities we've been to this year. 97 degrees for a high today in Chicago. The high Saturday is going to be 70. Oh, man, that'll be beautiful. Gird your loins. Yes. (laughs) Can't wait. Well, that'll wrap up this uh, this show. This was episode 27 of From the Braves Booth. And remember, our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com. And uh, there's there's no uh, deadline on, on anything you want to send us. Just fire away. We'll get it. Maybe it'll be on our next episode, which we'll be doing uh, in a week or so. So in the meantime, for Joe, for Jay Chad, I'm Ben. We'll talk to you tonight on the Braves Radio Network. You've been inside the Braves Booth. <laughs>